Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. Sorry to have gotten started a little late today, but I got distracted by New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's Me Too news conference earlier this afternoon. Seems the good governor had a bunch of his Northeastern governor pals queued up on the phone with him. The governor kind of served as the MC, and he went around talking to each one of them. They were announcing that they have this new task force that will be uh, responsible for the reopening of the Northeastern Corridor, getting the economy going again in the wake of the Chinese Communist Party virus. And so with that, I have no issue with the governors getting together as they did because frankly, and I've said this before and I will continue to say it, that bringing the states back to productivity does really lie with the governors. They're the ones who have that power as per the Constitution, per our Federalist Society. They also are the ones that are there on the ground in their states. They know what's going on. They are best suited to make these critical decisions. I did, though, have to laugh at this thing because it was really kind of reminiscent. He was taking a page from the Trump playbook. How many times do we see a big conference table with Trump there and different people, be it uh, people from different industry segments, the automotive industry, the hospitality industry, aerospace, the grocery and food industry, and they go around the table and everybody thanks the president for the opportunity to be there, applauds his leadership, gives a little blurb about their their company or their organization's position on whatever the, the issue is on the table, and they just keep moving around. It's worked very well for the president, and I guess that uh, Andrew Como has noticed that, so he decided to do the same thing today. So anyway, it was just kind of it was just kind of amusing to watch that aspect of it because indeed it was his Me Too uh, news conference. But besides that, let me introduce myself. This is Political Pursuits, the podcast, and I am your host, Lou Ann Anderson. Glad to be back here with you. Been under the weather a little bit for the last week or so, but we are back in action today. And oh my God, do we not have plenty of action to get into? First off, did you know that nearly a third of Americans believe a conspiracy theory about the origins of the coronavirus? That's right, per Vox. They wouldn't know anything about ever peddling uh, conspiracy theories theories. But anyway, per Vox, a new Pew study finds 30% of Americans believe scientists created COVID-19. That isn't, according to Pew, what happened. 
And so anyway, this is just some really kind of humorous stuff that um, it goes through and talks about how, oh, that people would think that there was this lab in the, in the vicinity of that wet market and that that could actually be where this virus came from, despite the fact that there are now reporting, some pretty credible reporting that doctors there were testing bats. They had a bat guy that they would send out into some parts of China where he was collecting different specimens from bats to bring back to the lab and then run tests on. Per Vox, there's a bunch of us crazies out there who think that that whole wet market and the, the live animals at the wet market disgusting as that entire environment sounds and horrific and just defies any kind of human decency that that the fact that we have these real high-tech labs there in the Wuhan area that are right there in close proximity to this um call it conspiracy you know one man's conspiracy theory is another man's likely reality and um I think that when we start discussing the bad acts perpetrated by China and the need to address them, that we're going to see all sorts of conspiracy uh, theories and allegations fly. When we discuss who knew what, when, and where with regard to the CCPV reaction here in the U.S., more conspiracy theories are going to be abundant. And be wary of those allegations as the political battle, the political gamesmanship, moves forward and it is bound to as we have the fight over China and what to do with them. I mean, I'm still bothered when it comes to just the idea of conspiracy theories. I'm still bothered by that story that I, I told you about several weeks ago um, in which it was reported that the FDA was sitting on all of these um, masks and other things, everything from um, everything from masks to hand sanitizer and other medical supplies, they were sitting in warehouses waiting for FDA inspectors. I don't know. I guess I've been through enough uh, with over these last few years with the FBI, with the Department of Justice, with the State Department, and all of these people that remember back we were conspiracy theorists when we believed in the deep state. But then again, the actions by these agencies have suggested very strongly that a deep state might exist. I'm still of that mind that why would I think that the deep state only exists in these agencies and that the public health agencies may not also have their own soldiers. So conspiracy theories, regardless of what Pew and Vox says and how they, they target that as we're all a bunch of crazies, conspiracy theories are going to abound. And uh, like I said, one man's conspiracy theory sometimes is, ends up being another man's reality. All right, enough of that. Uh, we're going to have some more to talk about China with regard to kind of what's up ahead for them in the next segment. But first, I wanted to talk about all the fingers being pointed this weekend. Yes, it was no Easter Sunday with cute little baskets and chicks and egg hunts uh, for the liberal media. Oh, no, the New York Times led the way with a big expose uh, headline, he could have seen what was coming behind Trump's failure on the virus. And the subhead, an examination reveals that the president was warned about the potential for a pandemic and that 
internal divisions, lack of planning, and his faith in his own instincts led to a halting response. Uh, it starts up, quote, any way you cut it, this is going to be bad. A senior medical advisor at the Department of Veterans Affairs, Dr. Carter Metcher, wrote on the dark and stormy night of January 28th. Well, maybe they didn't add that dark and stormy night. And it was written in an email to a group of public health experts scattered around the government and universities. The projected size of the outbreak already seems hard to believe. Well, on January 28th, it seems like a lot of people were getting that idea. Maybe that's why a few days later, the president shut down flights from China coming into the United States. Anyway, this goes on for a number of pages talking about the president and all of the mixed messages and the pushback. And um, it even got to a point to where there was this group that was so concerned that um, this Metcher writes at a point, you guys made fun of me screaming to close the schools. He wrote to the group, which called itself Red Dawn, which is an inside joke based on the 1984 movie about a band of Americans trying to save the country after a foreign invasion. Now I'm screaming, close the colleges and universities. Ah, so, okay, they called themselves Red Dawn. I wonder if that's a cousin of uh, Operation Crossfire Hurricane. What is it about these people? They really do love to give themselves and their efforts. Of course, they're not deep state efforts, but they're patriotic efforts. Uh, they're little taglines. So, anyway, this goes on and on and on. And um, the president is just being bashed. You know, it's got its its share of unnamed sources and then it's uh, it just it just goes on and on. And at the same time, there's many things in this that I'm sure that are true. But I have a feeling there were lots of moving parts during that time. And what information got to the president when, and the veracity of the people who were providing the information. You know, let's face it: this this president doesn't have complete confidence in all of the people that are surrounding him. And based on the last three years, I don't think that's a bad thing. But meanwhile, there was some response and there was some pushback to this bashing of the Trump administration over the weekend as well. Uh, Joel Pollack over at Breitbart, he uh, did a fact check on this. And the claim, the New York Times claims that President Donald Trump could have seen what was coming on coronavirus their uh, fact-checking verdict, mostly false. The president considered the advice of experts and took some early drastic actions. And it goes on, it typifies the New York Times piece um, as what might as well be a Democratic National Committee opposition dump against Trump, claiming that he ought to have known what the virus outbreak would mean and acted to stop it from happening. It notes also that uh, the article begins on this January 28th day, which was the day after the White House had already created its Corona Task Force, and a day before Trump was to chair a meeting of that task force, three days before he banned travel to China. So it was true that, you know, the president, he did move from downplaying the threat of a coronavirus outbreak to waging war against it, but in doing so, he was following the advice, the evolving advice of scientists and career civil servants who also initially said the risk was low. Dr. Fauci, 
January 21st, he was on Newsmax talking to Greg Kelly. He said that while we should take it seriously, the virus was not a major threat to people of the United States. And this is not something that the citizens of the United States right now should be worried about. So I don't know where, where, where do you go from that? You know, in other speeches in late January, the president reassured the nation that his administration had the situation under control, and he did not ever rule out that this could prove to be a bigger problem. Hopefully it's going to go be great, he told a rally in, in Des Moines just days before the Iowa caucuses. But it's something we have to be very careful with. The Times faults Trump for considering the effect of public health measures on the economy, even after Mr. Trump took his first concrete action at the end of January, limiting travel from China, public health often had to compete with economic and political considerations and internal debates. But it was not clear how else Trump was to manage a threat whose impact was uncertain and where many of the policy interventions he would have undertaken would have definite economic costs. They also falsely assigned blame to the president for uh, the failure of the initially improved CDC testing. It claims that the administration had botched the rollout of the testing, but in fact it was a problem that had nothing to do with the Trump administration. Dr. Fauci even later said that the failure of the initial wave of tests had been no one's fault in particular, but the result of an ordinary technical glitch and certainly not the president's fault. Well, I agree it certainly wasn't the president's fault, but I don't agree that it wasn't somebody's fault. But I would say it was a bureaucratic ineptitude and a covering up who actually should have been the accountable parties. But then again, we've never known bureaucracies being strong for accountability, especially when it comes to specifically naming names of its members. Uh, the, the, Trump, the Times also acknowledges that impeachment might have constrained Trump's ability to act. Yeah, you think? Yeah, but the newspaper accepts no responsibility for its own or that of the media or the opposition in supporting the impeachment trial. Remember, in January, impeachment was still more important than this virus. But Trump was the bad guy for even giving impeachment, you know, an ounce of attention. So, nor does the Times account for its own early mistaken reporting on the virus outbreak, such as the article in January that declared in the subhead that a new illness in China, quote, doesn't appear to be readily spread by humans. It also fails to note that no other Western government nor any state or local government was prepared for the pandemic. It compares Trump to an ideal response with 2020 hindsight rather than actual practical alternatives. Never does the Times acknowledge that the federal supply of emergency medical supplies had been depleted and never replaced by one President Barack Obama in his administration. Nor does it note that the White House announced new aggressive policies toward preventing pandemics last year, even if that effort anticipated an influenza opposed to a SARS-type virus. This whole thing, it just talks about how that um, the fear and stigma surrounding the virus was spreading faster than the virus itself in Europe quoting one business owner who called the pandemic about the virus absolutely ridiculous. 
The president's job was to weigh the risk of a pandemic against the risk of harming the economy. Initially, the chance of a pandemic seemed small. Ultimately, the risk to the public health grew, and the president made decisions accordingly. And so anyway, this is just ridiculous from their standpoint. And then um, we also have Dr. Fauci. PJ Media, Rick Moran, talks about how Easter Sunday has been blamed Trump Day around the world. The New York Times has three separate stories, which we just covered one of those. The Guardian, Der Spiegel, and the Associated Press are all piling on the president for his poor and late response to the pandemic. But odds are there wouldn't even be a pandemic if China hadn't delayed and if China had been transparent. It is horrifyingly clear that China could have nipped this pandemic in the bud, but no, 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 no. Their paranoia, their desire not to get blamed for the virus's origination, you know, or to let anybody know what the hell they're actually doing over there, that led to the hiding of the facts, not just from their own people, but from the entire world. That included allowing their citizens to travel. It is believed that more than 450,000 Chinese traveled to the U.S. since January, a recipe for disaster. And Dr. Fauci has even been quoted as saying, China blew it. Dr. Fauci says that human-to-human transmission of COVID-19 diseases erupted in China in mid-December, yet the regime told the U.S. and the world the virus was only transmitted animal to human. Dr. Fauci told Waters World, Fox News program Waters World, that as diseases spread to more people in mid-January in China's Hubei province, specifically Wuhan City, the communist government said that human contagion was minimal. Both assertions were clearly not correct. That was misinformation right from the beginning, according to Fauci. Trump's Crucial early responses to the virus were based on lies from China. Would the truth have changed Trump's response? It's speculative, but probable. At the very least, we would have had a few more precious weeks to stockpile supplies and get the testing regimen in order. Early on, we did not get correct information, and the information, the incorrect information was propagated right from the beginning. Something not widely known is that China began to buy up massive amounts of medical supplies while the world slept. The White House says that while China was hiding disease facts, it was also buying up a lot of medical equipment around the world. So when the virus basically began its killing spree and started infecting people and multitudes and significant multitudes on a daily basis, China's propaganda machine went into action, making that unfounded assertion that what? Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts too, flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. Ah. 
Feel the woe with Listerine at BJ's. You can save $2.50 now on Listerine products like Total Care Anti-Cavity Fluoride Fresh Mint Mouthwash or Cool Mint Pocket Packs Fresh Breath Strips at your nearest BJ's location. Experience the feeling of a million germs zapped in seconds with Listerine. Discount available through December 24th. Save now only at BJ's. Course, it's the U.S. Army's fault. They planted the virus in Wuhan. And even some would say that the media's favorite doctor, Dr. Fauci, that he was kind of, he was, he was uh, influenced by this misinformation as well. He relied on the Chinese disinformation to downplay COVID-19's threat to the Americas. This is not a major threat to the, for the people in the United States, he said on multiple interviews. And in all of the stories about Trump's failure, there's nothing on Chinese lies skewing our responses. Trump should have known as the political theme that has little to do with reality. Intelligence agencies point to the various reports and briefings they gave Trump, but the fact is they were just as much in the dark as everyone else, and their analysts downplayed the severity of the crisis just like everyone else. So China was the one who knew. We're not sure exactly when, but we know it was a lot, lot, lot earlier than they've ever fessed up. And no amount of political finger pointing is ever going to change that. But meanwhile, there's a lot of other interesting things to talk about with China. With regard to the virus, the bottom line is, but for China covering up the virus for months and then downplaying its ramifications, even to this day, the situation we faced and that faced by others around the world would be decidedly different. And it seems we're moving into a new phase with this uh, Chinese Communist Party virus. As we discussed, as we discussed reopening the economy, it's annoying that people caution not rushing in. Thank you, Captain Obvious. We didn't shut this thing all down in a day, so I don't think we're going to open it back up in a day. And I'll, despite the president, here's one that I do disagree with him on. Despite the president saying that, oh, he's going to make the decision on the reopening, and granted, he certainly is a source who needs to be offering a lot of guidance, a lot of recommendations, keeping the states apprised of the current situations going on. But this is, as we said before, this is something for the governors to do. Andrew Como in his Me Too News conference, it was comical from the copycat of the Trump sessions that were very much in, you know, an example. However, he does have every right, and the fact that he's putting together that group of the Northeast Corridor governors, that makes a good sense, too, because there's a lot of interlap between their economies, between people moving back and forth. It makes total sense, so way to go, guys. But at the same time, this is going to be, it's going to be a dicey, it's going to be a dicey proposition, and so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But as we work to get back to our new non-quarantine economic and social rollout, what's ahead for China? Because I think China is going to find it is facing a new normal all of its own. And with that, 
We will come back next segment and talk more about it. This is Political Pursuits, the podcast. I am Lou Ann Anderson and look forward to seeing you on the other side. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters, Welcome back to Political Pursuits, the podcast. I'm your host, Lou Ann Anderson. And before we go any further, let me also remind you that you can find us on Facebook. Political Pursuits, the podcast is on Facebook at Political P Suits. Same on Twitter at Political P Suits. If you got some comments or got some information, an article you'd like to share, some thoughts, please, please email me. You can reach me at politicalpursuitspod at gmail.com. And also, when it comes to accessing the show, it's available on most of the popular platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, Podcast Addict, Deezer, and CastBox. So with that, let's talk a little bit more about China. China is going to be having a new normal, same as us here in the U.S. But somehow I imagine I think our new normal has the uh, capabilities of long-term being a more positive experience. The Chinese government is, I think, going to be living through some very huge and likely unforeseen consequences. Let's face it, the communist, the Chinese Communist Party, they overplayed their hand, especially during the days of Donald Trump. I think Trump relies a lot on his instincts, a lot on his tuition. He is a savvy guy. He has been he has been studying politics and the economy from a real-world standpoint for 50-plus years. Tell me there's other people in the White House that have been had that kind of in-depth background where they have been immersed in geopolitical situations, issues, following everything going on, not only from a political standpoint, from a governmental standpoint, but also from an economic, a financial standpoint, and watching all the pieces move together. Trump also, I will give you, I think is thin-skinned enough that he is probably just kind of on the pissed-off side at China for having done this, done this on his watch when of course, I think he's playing kind of the good cop to the bad cop of the Lighthizer and Navarro and some of those people involved in the trade negotiations. I think he plays the good cop praising President Xi and saying nice things about the the Chinese 
government, China as a country, the people, all of that. I think there's some sucking up absolutely on his standpoint. But I do think that he also is thin-skinned enough that he does take it kind of personally and that she did what he did, withheld, and has created this storm that is causing havoc throughout most of most of the developed world anyway, um, I think there's going to be a little hell to pay. And I would suspect that we will see it on multiple fronts because it, already there are signs that he is unleashing the FCC, the FDA, the trade people, the communications people, uh, the Department of Education, and also INS. Those people, because remember, China loves to send their young people over here to our universities to study. And I got an interesting story about that coming up. The Justice Department. Yes, the question is that how far will he go in making their life potentially a living hell and returning the U.S. to a stronger position? I think that's what we are going to see his efforts be, especially if we can get through this 2020 election and get him reelected in the final four years. I think those are exactly the things he's going to look to do. His legacy wants to be the sh to shore up the United States to a position of greatness that has not truly been seen in the last decades. But China won't be the only people fighting him. I think that we are. Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. Also could look to see our own deep state pro-China forces working to sabotage the efforts. And so it's going to be interesting to watch. This is going to be another one of those cases where there's going to be a lot of gamesmanship going, but... We will be able to watch and see it as it plays out. When we talk about the Chinese party, the Chinese party's list of transgressions is long and shameful, but knowing that they were dealing with one of the most infectious diseases ever in our modern history, and with that they allowed somewhere like 7 to 9 million Chinese to leave the country to go other places to celebrate the Chinese New Year. This was, I mean, this was, this was ratty, even by Beijing standards. The regime exacerbated that wrong with its ham-handed abuse of the global public health community. That included marginalizing Taiwan, because, oh no, they don't like Taiwan. And Taiwan was one of the first entities who actually recognized and responded to the threat. Then, the regime launched its unprecedented propaganda war to shift the blame and promote the Chinese Communist Party as the world leader in pandemic response, you know, which sadly was parroted by a lot of the people in, in our media. And um, then came the hints that, oh, yeah, and, you know, U.S., we love you, but we may not be able to keep getting all those uh, life-saving drugs that you 
import from us. We may not be able to get this over here if you keep uh, talking kind of ugly about us. Then, when those things weren't having quite the desired reaction, what did they do? They went and launched an unprecedented propaganda war to shift the blame, as we talked about before, that the Communist Party is the leader, the world leader in pandemic response. People should be looking to them for guidance. And um, instead, that no, the virus actually came from the U.S. Incredible, incredible, incredible. And they also, as they were doing these things, um, we started finding out that as they were being so so uh, magnificent in, in sending other or selling a lot of supplies to other countries, we're finding out now that Spain, Turkey, the Netherlands, they've all rejected Chinese test kits and personal protective devices because they were widely defective. And we're going to have even, that's an even bigger list, actually, that we're going to be going into here in a few minutes. But China's actions have, without a doubt, generated far more ill will than goodwill. And Washington, yeah, they've done some kind of knee-jerk finger-wagging things so far from, um, you know, making their diplomatic statements, writing some letters, and name-calling to there's been like some demands for reparations. There are, although, a few productive things that are that are going now. They probably aren't going to get really full traction quite yet, but they will be. And one of them includes um, a bill to disconnect the U.S. pharmaceutical supply chain from Chinese sources, which can't happen soon enough. But meanwhile, there's there's some other things. I mean, we've got to truly take a good look at this and assess all aspects of our interdependency with China and come up with a comprehensive strategy for how we extricate ourselves to some degree, but certainly for what we do continue dealing with the Chinese, we do look for a way to... Um, Make sure that our interests are first and foremost, not the Chinese. A couple of things, some areas that we can double down in. Uh, number one, in Western Europe, China's going to try and exploit the virus by splitting off countries and pulling them into its orbit. Italy is a classic example. Now, should Italy not have learned after what they've been through in the last months? But what got Italy there to begin with is that they are big proponents of this Belt and Road initiative. In fact, I think they're the only EU country, or at least of the major EU countries, they're the only ones that are even involved with this. That's why you had so many Chinese people living in Italy and so many people traveling back and forth is because this initiative, what happened was that Italy wanted to get, it has all these luxury brand products, the Versace's, the Gucci, the Louis, you know, Louis Vuitton, all these type of, of of manufacturing concerns there for high-end fashion items. They wanted access to China's markets. So they invited the Chinese in via this Belt and Road Initiative to come in there, and they have a lot of economic partnerships going on. Well, how'd that work for you, Italy? Yeah, you've had a large portion of your country's population die in the last 45 days. So anyway... That is one area that as we start seeing China positioning itself to get a stronger hole in Western Europe or in Europe as a whole, um, 
we're going to be able to do that. In fact, the UK government is said to be so angry with China that it may well pull completely out of its 5G deal with Huawei. And so there's a lot of a fallout still to be happened there. I think a lot of those countries are in the same boat as we are. We're trying to figure out how to get our economies back up and running, get our people to a, you know, at least a maintenance standpoint with controlling this virus. And that's when the chips are going to start falling a little bit later. Our Asian partners, it's the same kind of thing. Washington needs to have a priority to seal the key partnerships with our people in the Indo-Pacifics. A lot of those countries are where we've already started shifting some degree of manufacturing. And we need to continue that as well as shore up the agreements to make sure that they are agreements. We're not going into another China situation, that it can be a win-win for both sides involved. Africa. China loves to go in and stir things up, and Africa is no exception. So that's somewhere else that we're just going to have to pay some attention to. Another thing else, too, is international organizations. The U.S. has caught on to Beijing's ploy of flooding critical international organizations with its flunkies who have turned, who then turned the institutions to China's purposes, World Health, Health Organization, perhaps, uh, battling China's deeply disruptive influence in this area will be part of um, of trying to, to kind of just curtail a lot of their influence and a lot of their activities. And um, one of the most just galling things to have happened on that front here recently is that the UN Human Rights Council just last week appointed China to its consultative group in spite of Beijing's deplorable record on human rights. The five-member bo- five body, this uh, consultative group, interviews applicants for roles as independent United Nations experts of the Human Rights Council, and it makes recommendations to the president of that council. As noted by UN Watch, which is a Geneva-based uh, NGO whose stated mission is to monitor the performance of the UN by the yardstick of its own charter. According to UN Watch, China will be able to influence the selection of at least 17 UN human rights mandate holders over the next year, known as special procedures, who investigate, monitor, and publicly report on either specific country situations or on thematic issues in all parts of the world, such as freedom of speech and religion. That's just, that's just mind-boggling. Uh, Chris Smith, representative from uh, New Jersey, he said it's appalling that one of the world's most prominent violators of human rights would be appointed to such an influential position. Unfortunately, it's a repeat outrage. China actually has been on this this uh, particular committee before, back 20, 2009 to 2010. So... The UN once again shows itself as that bastion of uh, credibility and certainly the entity that's looking to make the world a better place. So, we go. 
Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. Ah, feel the woe with Listerine at BJ's. You can save $2.50 now on Listerine products like Total Care Anti-Cavity Fluoride Fresh Mint Mouthwash or Cool Mint Pocket Packs Fresh Breath Strips at your nearest BJ's location. Experience the feeling of a million germs zapped in seconds with Listerine. Discount available through December 24th. Save now only at BJ's. And we talk about how, I mean, this whole Human Rights Commission is just kind of a farce to begin with. Israel is kind of one of the big boogeymen they love going after. You know, while they rarely hold any human rights abusers to account if they're powerful or influential in the UN system. It's never passed a condemnatory resolution on China, Cuba, Russia, or Saudi America, despite their terrible records on religious persecution, on Uh, punishment of political dissent, hostility to the free press, unequal rights for women. Never that. And 11 of the 47 members of this council, which includes countries like Afghanistan, Qatar, Libya, Venezuela, they're not even ranked as free countries. So this is just idiotic. And, I mean, it's kind of like this is why the U.S. left the Human Rights Council, uh, per President Trump several years ago. And this certainly just underscores the importance of that. I'm happy to say that our two senators, uh, Ted Cruz and John Cornyn, have joined with Senators Marco Rubio, James Inhofe, Marsha Blackburn, Martha McSally, and Kevin Kramer in opposing the appointment to Um, of China to this UN Human Rights Group. They've sent a letter to the UN Secretary General, and they are saying that in this position, Jiang will provide China with the opportunity to play a central role in picking at least 17 human rights investigators. And it goes on talking about who they are, talking about that, you know, including those who look at freedom of speech and forced disappearance, arbitrary detention, Rights abuses, which the Chinese regimen routinely perpetrates. They go on and they say the Chinese government's decision to deceive the international community about the grave dangers of the COVID-19 outbreak in Wuhan violates any credibility on human rights and should disqualify them from a position on this, this particular committee. Through intimidation of its medical first responders, censorship of online forums, and threats of severe punishment for anyone who dared to speak out with the truth, the Chinese Communist Party engaged in its most egregious human rights abuse, the unchecked spread of a new and dangerous virus on an unwitting global population. And so anyway, I'm sure that's going to move forward, but... That just is an example that when we talk about how we can look at 
trying to nip, trying to thwart China having a greater influence and greater activity on these different international organizations and bodies, the UN Human Rights Council certainly stands head and shoulders above many other type things. One other thing that is so important, we mentioned it before, and it's something we've got to do, is we have got to get more into severing our independence with China on medical supplies. You know that we can't even make our own penicillin. We are the country who first made penicillin at a hospital in Connecticut back in 1942. For years, we made our own supply, made and maintained our own supply of penicillin, and it served us well. But that was a long time ago. The last U.S. plant to make penicillin was a Bristol-Myers squib operation in Syracuse, New York, and it shuttered in 2004. What happened? Industry data reveals that Chinese companies formed a cartel, colluded to sell product on the global market at below market price, and drove all U.S., European, and Indian producers out of business. When European firms tried to sell their penicillin ingredients in China, they got a characteristic Chinese welcome. The government imposed high trade barriers, charged astronomical fees for product testing, and held foreign firms to a higher standard than domestic ones. So just like that, we were out of the penicillin production business. From 2018 to 2000, from 2010 to 2018, U.S. imports of pharmaceuticals from China increased 75%. China is the second largest exporter of drugs and biologics to the U.S. behind Canada. And our dependence is even greater given that China is also the source of active ingredients of many drugs that are produced elsewhere. India who is a major source of drugs for the U.S. They're a major source, yet they still get 75% of their active ingredients from China. Problem? I think so. China is a dominant force when it comes to generic drugs in particular, which account for the vast majority of medicines that Americans take. We rely on China for 90%. Get that 90% of our antibiotics and for drugs for everything from HIV, AIDS, to cancer, to antidepressants. So anybody who takes a drug, you're likely dependent on China. Even if China weren't a malign global competitor, which it is, a remorseless dictatorship, which it is, or a dishonest kleptocracy, which it is, there would be risk inherent in having so many of our medications and their components coming from one country. We become vulnerable to any disruption of Chinese production whether from disease, political unrest, or war. And Beijing is a nasty actor, make no mistake. But the coronavirus has demonstrated that even friendly nations will keep medical supplies from one another if it's in their self-interest to do so. So with that, it only makes sense that the U.S. begin our own national effort to produce more of our own medicines. It's not as though China's advantage in this area is the result of a policy of strict laissez-faire. The U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission attributes China's success to government subsidies, 
a robust chemical industry, IP theft, lax environmental protections, which I'll have more on here in a minute, and regulations favoring domestic companies. So in other words, everything, the playing field is tilted totally in their favor, totally against other countries, U.S., India, and anybody else. Now, severing the supply chain that have developed over these last like couple of decades is not going to be an easy task. It's not going to be a, twi- a quick task. The administration certainly can start by creating an incentive for drug companies to at least move out of China into other foreign countries, you know, ideally come back here, but that's going to involve economic incentives and if we can at least get them to less hostile nations that might be our first best start. Once upon a time Puerto Rico had a thriving pharmaceutical industry that went away. Now Puerto Rico has lots and lots and lots of problems and far be it for me to defend Puerto Rico but they need some good solid economic activity and if we could bring some of that pharmaceutical um operation some of those back to Puerto Rico there's lots of advantages that could be doing that and hopefully that's something we're going to be looking at something else too that would be good all the federally funded health systems including Medicare Medicaid the Veterans Administration why don't we buy only American sourced pharmaceuticals that would help and especially not only would it help from an economic standpoint, but it would, ha- it would also help from a safety standpoint. Because as we mentioned before, the quality standpoints of some of this stuff coming out of China, it's scary. Damn scary. Defective medical gear from China is drawing growing backlash overseas, with Finland, Britain, and Ireland being the latest to complain about faulty equipment. You know, China wanted to go out and do this mask diplomacy thing and tout themselves as the big savior to the world, savior of a problem that they and they alone created and made far worse than it ever would have needed to be. But anyway, eager to portray themselves as, you know, humanitarians, the Chinese regime has sent medical supplies to countries around the world from Spain to Peru. Since March 1st, the country has sent 4 billion masks, 37.5 protective 37.5 million protective suits and 2.8 million testing kits according to a statement from Chinese Customs Administration. Finland upon receiving 2 million surgical masks from China uh, described them to be disappointing quality and unsuitable for hospital staff. Meanwhile, Toronto, they're recalling more than 62,000 faulty Chinese surgical masks worth more than $200,000 that have been distributed to long-term health care facilities. And now they're having to get them back and they're investigating whether anyone had exposure to the virus while wearing masks. Ireland's first batch of PPE from China, 20% of it was defective. The faulty items carry a value of $4.37 million dollars. The Chinese embassy in Dublin has promised to replace the equipment, but we'll see if that happens. And another 15% of the shipment, including white overall gowns, were considered acceptable for healthcare workers' use if the preferred product is not available. A British testing chief said that the antibody tests sourced from China were ineffective as they could only identify immunity accurately in those who were severely ill with the large viral load more of the obvious. 
So the government had ordered millions of antibody testing from China last week, but the UK Secretary of Health and Social Care said that we don't have anything that is good enough to use. The Netherlands has recalled 600,000 masks from China, while the Spanish Health Ministry also withdrew 58,000 Chinese-made testing kits upon discovering that it had an accuracy rate of only 30%. Additionally, factory conditions are now being questioned. A Chinese broker recently told a news outlet, a Chinese news outlet called Tech World, 60% of mask factories don't have sterile workrooms, and many simply bought their credentials. Chen had visited one dust-filled factory where workers handled masks from the assembly line without wearing any gloves or mask. He asked, who would dare to use masks that are manufactured like this? Who would dare to wear it on their face? Founder of another um, e-commerce site, said that he found dead flies and dark spots in a random check of 350,000 masks he had purchased for exports. So that tells you a little bit more about the Chinese medical equipment producing uh, environments. And once again, the drugs, the PPE, everything, medical devices, all of these things, it's time for us to get those out of China and start bringing them preferably home, but at least to other, as I said before, nations that aren't hostile to our existence. One last thing before we go to, go to break, and this one may really get you. Something else we need to be watching out with China. Number one, I talked earlier about the fact that the Chinese love to get those visas so they can send their young people over here to go to school. Now, there is a significant school of thought that says a lot of those people are sent over here to spy. And there is some, there have been some arrests, there have been some revelations that support that. On the other side, there are other people that just send their kids over because if they're part of the elite, it's a cushy thing to be able to have your kid educated in the U.S. But I bet you you may have missed this. On uh, January 28th, the Department of Justice released a news um, release that was headlined, Harvard University professor and two Chinese nationals charged in three separate China-related cases. The DOJ announced today, this was back January 28th, remember when we were grappling with what to do about this virus, how big was it going to be? The DOJ on that day announced that the chair of Harvard University's Chemistry and Chemical Biology Department and two Chinese nationals were charged in connection with aiding the People's Republic of China. Dr. Charles Lieber, 60, chair of the department, was arrested and charged by criminal complaint with one count of making a materially false, fictitious, and fraudulent statement. Another Chinese ma uh, national, Yang King Ye, was charged uh, with one count of visa fraud, making false statements, acting as an agent of a foreign government and conspiracy. Another was uh, arrested on December 10th at Logan Airport and charged by criminal complaint with attempting to smuggle 21 vials of biological research to China. He was also indicted on one count of smuggling goods from the United States and one count of making false, fictitious, or fraudulent statements. Okay, let's talk about this Dr. Lieber. 
According to court documents, since 2008, Lieber has served as the principal investigator of the Lieber Research Group at Harvard University, which specializes in the area of nanoscience and has received more than $15 million in grant funding from the NIH and the DOD. Our tax dollars, $15 million. These grants require the disclosure of significant foreign financial conflicts of interest, including financial support from foreign governments or foreign entities. Hang on to that thought. Unbeknownst to Harvard University, beginning in 2011, Lieber became a strategic scientist at Wuhan University of Technology in China and was a contractual participant in China's Thousand Talents Plan from in or about 2012 to 2017. Now, this Thousand Talents Plan is one of the most prominent Chinese talent recruit plans that are designed to attract, recruit, and cultivate high-level scientific talent in furtherance of China's scientific development, economic prosperity, national security. Okay. These talent programs seek to lure Chinese overseas talent and foreign experts to bring their knowledge and experience to China. And get this, it rewards individuals for stealing proprietary information. Under the terms of Lieber's three-year Thousand Talents contract, the uh, Wuhan University of Technology paid him $50,000 per month, living experiences of up to um, $158,000 at the time, and awarded him more than $1.5 million to establish a research lab there in Wuhan. In return, Lieber was obligated to work for this Wuhan University of Technology not less than nine months a year by declaring international cooperation projects, cultivating young teachers and PhD students, organizing international conferences, applying for patents, and publishing articles in the name of WUT. The complaint alleges that in 2018 and 19, Lieber lied about his involvement with this Thousand Talents plan and his affiliation with the university. Um, he stated in an interview with investigators that he was never asked to participate in the talents program, and he wasn't sure how China categorized him. It was found that he failed to disclose all of his relationships with them, and um, he caused Harvard to falsely tell the NIH that Lieber had no formal association with the Wuton University. And so this guy was lying through his teeth. He was using our tax dollars as well as betraying his company, country by his association with these other type people. And this was what was the chair of Harvard's chemistry and chemical biology department. His other two uh, co-conspirators in this, this one gal, she's a lieutenant of the People's Liberation Army, which is the armed forces of the People's Republic of China, and she's a member of the Communist Party. What a shock. She lied when she falsely identified herself as a student. Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop flatware, manufactured in the United States.
They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. Ah, feel the woe with Listerine at BJ's. You can save $2.50 now on Listerine products like Total Care Anti-Cavity Fluoride Fresh Mint Mouthwash or Cool Mint Pocket Packs Fresh Breath Strips at your nearest BJ's location. Experience the feeling of a million germs zapped in seconds with Listerine. Discount available through December 24th. Save now only at BJ's. And lied about her ongoing military service uh, with the Communist Chinese Party. She was conducting while there at the university. She continued to work as a PLA lieutenant, completing numerous assignments from PLA officers, such as conducting research, assessing U.S. military websites, and sending U.S. documents to information to China. I'm going to put all of this up on the Facebook page at Political Suits. Because you got to read this. It's absolutely incredible. But this is why we need to sever our ties with China, without a doubt. And this also, the point of going through all this is to show there are many fronts within our government that the Trump administration can use to target China and try to better secure the United States' position on multiple fronts. And that's something we certainly hope that we will be seeing happen. So as we're questioning China as a world partner on many fronts, um, you know what social credit systems are? That's something that uh, China has enacted for its citizens, and a version of that may soon be coming our way. There's a story out about um, some of the uh, certificates of immunity to the virus that we may be required to carry and some software that Google and Apple are partnering with to put together. So we want to talk about that and then talk about it in the terms of China's social credit system after the break. This is Lou Ann Anderson, Political Pursuits, the podcast, and we'll be right back. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters Welcome back to Political Pursuits, the podcast. I'm Lou Ann Anderson, your host. Before we get started here on our last segment, want to remind you that we are available on Facebook at Political Peace Suits. Same for Twitter at Political Peace Suits. Email us, politicalpursuitspod at gmail.com. Also, we are available to be heard on most of the popular 
podcast platforms including Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, Deezer, CastBox, and Podcast Addict. I also will be posting many of the articles which I referenced in today's podcast on the Facebook page, so I invite you to take a look at those. Something that's been kind of raising some eyebrows, ruffling some feathers over these last uh, few weeks, days, is the idea that Americans could eventually carry certificates of immunity to the coronavirus. This is something that Dr. Fauci talked about on Friday. He said that it is possible that Americans could eventually carry these certificates once proper testing is widespread enough. He was on CNN Newsday, and he did admit that it was a possibility. He said it's one of those things that we talk about when we want to make sure that we know who the vulnerable people are and are not, that this is something that's being discussed. I think it might actually have some merit. Uh, Louisiana Republican Senator Bill Cassidy has pitched the idea of an immunity registration to document people no longer believed to be at risk of, it, of infection. Federal and state officials have said that antibody testing to try to determine whether someone had the coronavirus is one of the next major fronts in the battle against COVID-19. And Dr. Fauci said that within about a week, there will be a rather large number of tests that are available, but that validating them is the key. Other countries have gotten burned by this. He said they need to be validated. You need to make sure they're consistent and that they're accurate. That's one of the problems we've had with a lot of this testing when it's it's great having a number of different companies involved in developing these tests, but as you have different different tests coming from different sources who have different uh, manufacturing capabilities, who may have different quality standards, you're not always getting apples to apples. And so that's one of the things that I would agree with is very prudent in making sure that all test results are based on the same test and that the same parameters, the same criteria have been used. So anyway, he said it's very likely that there are a large number of people out there that have been infected, have been asymptomatic, and didn't know they were infected. If their antibody test is positive one formulate kind of strategies about whether or not they would be at risk or vulnerable to getting reinfected. So as that's something that's being talked about, an article over the weekend in the Wall Street Journal caught my eye because Google and Apple are joining to track patients. So here we have Dr. Fauci and these people talking about having some kind of registry, some kind of certificate that... Um, people would have to be able to present to show that, that they have been infected, but that they're deemed to be have some degree of immunization at this point. Now, how might that happen? Hmm, what's something that many, many, many Americans have on them on a regular basis that could serve as a vehicle for providing this information? Oh, yeah, your phone. Apple Inc. and Google will build software together that would alert people if they were in contact with someone infected with the coronavirus, an unprecedented collaboration between two Silicon Valley giants and rivals. The project, which is certain to raise privacy concerns, offer the, offers the most concrete technological solution to date for governmental authorities searching for ways to at least partially lift the lockdown orders that have swept the nation. 
The companies are by far the world's biggest smartphone software providers with billions of users worldwide. The company said in a joint statement Friday that contact tracing tools they are developing would be built into smartphones using existing Bluetooth technology that tracks whether phones have passed within a certain distance of one another. If a user tests positive for the virus and chooses to participate in the system, other phones will be able to search through their location data to determine whether they pass close enough for long enough long enough to risk a potential exposure within the past 14 days. Those unknowing individuals, provided they too have opted in, would receive a notification on their own phones, according to draft documents posted by the company, such as, quote, alert, you have recently been exposed to someone who has tested positive for COVID-19. Tap for more information. First version of this is going to be released next month, and um, it can then be developed by public health authorities, among others. The private effort wasn't coordinated in advance with the White House Task Force that is looking at potential technical solutions to curb the spread of the virus. Um, President Trump said Friday that the technology raised privacy concerns, and he told reporters that it's very interesting, but a lot of people worry about it in terms of a person's freedom. We're going to take a look at it, though, a very strong look. The initiative would turn the smartphones in Americans' pockets into pandemic tracking devices. The concept, similar to that used most prominently in Singapore earlier this year, could make it easier to contain future outbreaks as people return to daily lives. Okay, that all sounds kind of good and well, and that, you know, there's a practical aspect here, but it's kind of like, is this a door that we are comfortable in opening? Uh, concerns have revolved around whether the benefits of such a system would outweigh the potential exposure of sensitive information about where and with whom people spend time. Apple and Google said information about the other people users come in contact with wouldn't be shared unless a user volunteers it. They also said users' locations and personal identifiable information won't be collected. I think we've heard that before. So privacy advocates say that there is a bit of decentralization to this, which does kind of help it, but that still it's something that would have to be very closely watched. And I bring that up now in terms of, I don't know if you're aware of a social credit system that China has. A few weeks ago in a podcast, I talked about how uh, 21 million cell phone accounts in China had been terminated over the last... 30 to 60 days, and it was thought that that probably was commensurate with virus deaths because the Chinese government has this social credit system, and it pings to your phone. Your phone is what tracks everything. Your phone is what tracks what you do, where you go, your behavior, and as that information is fed into this social credit uh, system algorithm, that churns out your availability to do things or not do things, kind of like with this virus deal. If you have this and it shows that you have been infected by the virus but that you are currently considered to have some degree of immunity, well, then that means you can have benefits like maybe getting to go to your job. 
there's aspects of this that sound very reasonable, that sound very practical, that sound like a functional approach in a time in which we have a lot of challenges. I'll give you that all day long, but it's not that far from what the Chinese social credit system is. So let me tell you a little bit about that. By 2020, China plans to have ranked all its citizens based on their social credit score. I'm not sure where they are with that. They may have gotten a leg up if a good chunk of the population no longer exists. People can be rewarded or punished according to their scores. Like private financial credit scores, a person's social scores can move up and down according to their behavior. At the moment, the system is piecemeal. Some are run by city councils, while others are scored by private tech platforms that hold personal data. We've got a listing here of different things that are impacted by your social score. And incidentally, this is an article. Now, this is back from 2018, but it's from Business Insiders, and it gives a good rundown. The social credit system was first announced in China in 2014, which it aims to reinforce the idea that, quote, Keeping trust is glorious and breaking trust is disgraceful. The program is due to be completely operational by this year. And um, the exact methodology of the social scoring is secret, but examples of infractions include bad driving, smoking in non-smoking zones, buying too many video games, the horror, and posting fake news online. Okay, let's first talk. One thing it can do, ban you from flying or getting the train. China's already started punishing people by restricting their travel. Too bad they didn't do some of that in January with the damn virus. Um, Nine million people with low scores have been blocked from buying tickets for domestic flights. Channel News Asia reported Citing official statistics, they also clamped down on luxury options. Three million people are barred from getting business class train tickets. The eventual system will punish bad passengers specifically. Potential misdeeds include trying to ride with no ticket, loitering in front of boarding gates, or smoking in no smoking areas. Another thing that it does is that it throttles your internet speeds. According to a author of a book that was published on um, tech security, the mechanics of this aren't exactly clear, but credit systems monitor whether people pay bills on time, much like financial tra credit trackers. But it also ascribes a moral dimension. Other mooted punishable offenses include spending too long playing video games, wasting money on frivolous purchases, and posting on social media spreading fake news specifically about terrorist attacks or airport security are also punishable offenses. So if you're found guilty of doing this, and of course we don't know exactly by what metrics you would be found guilty or who is finding you guilty other than the CCP, uh, your internet speeds can be tamped down. Third thing, banning you or your kids from the best schools. 17 people who refused to carry out military service back in 2018 were barred from enrolling in higher education, applying for high school, or continuing their studies, Beijing News reported. 
In July, a Chinese university denied an incoming student his spot because the student's father had a bad social credit score. Ooh, sins of the father. Leave it to the Chinese. Another thing it can do is stop you from getting the best jobs. Trust-breaking individuals would also be banned from doing management jobs in state-owned firms and big banks. Some crimes, like fraud and embezzlement, would also have a big effect on social credit. Keeping you out of the best hotels. People who refuse military service were also banned from some holidays and hotels, showing that vacation plans are fair game too. The regime rewards people here as well as punishes them. People with good scores can speed up travel applications to places like Europe. An unidentified woman in Beijing told the BBC in 2015 that she was able to book a hotel without having to pay a cash deposit because she had a good score. Oh, this one's like fighting words. Getting your dog taken away. The eastern Chinese city of Jinan started enforcing a social credit system for dog owners in 2017, whereby pet owners get points deducted if the dog is walked without a leash or causes public disturbances. Those who lost all their points had their dogs confiscated and had to take a test on regulations required for pet ownership. Another thing being publicly named as a bad citizen. Naming and shaming is another tactic available. A 2016 government notice encourages companies to consult the blacklist before hiring people or giving them contracts. However, people will be notified by the courts before they are added to the list and are allowed to appeal against the decision within 10 days of receiving the notification. How magnanimous, the opportunity to defend oneself. It's not clear when that list is going to be implemented, but that certainly was part of the plan. A prototype blacklist already exists and has been used to punish people. And anyway, this is just some just mind-boggling information. And this is something that we've seen. In fact, some of the, I mean, if you think about it, if you go and do Uber and the fact that you can rate the driver, but the driver can rate you, that's kind of its own little social credit system. And we are seeing some of the other tech companies out in Silicon Valley that are implementing things like this. And this deal with uh, tracking the virus could be an initial step towards some type of system like that. So not saying that we shouldn't necessarily track the, track that, um, the virus status of people, but let's just be aware what it can lead to. And with that, we are done for today. Thank you for joining us again at Political Pursuits, the podcast. I'm Lou Ann Anderson, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Meanwhile, stay safe, stay strong. We're getting through this. Keep your eyes open. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, and we're starting to see it now. Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop flatware, manufactured in the United States. 
They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN.